Good morning, church. So I am Steady Mono. I am um, related to Jason, big brother to Jason in many ways. And uh, he and I have the blessing on most days. On some days, we say we both have the case of having been married to the two sisters. <laughs> I married the older sister, Kelly, who is Kim's older sister, and Jason, obviously, to Kim. So um, we share that, uh, those blessings on most days. Uh, I'm glad to be with you, and certainly we've been here uh, with you several times. Um, thankful for the invitation. Uh, I told Kelly that, wow, Jason was somewhat desperate to call me from Albany, New York, you know, to come and, uh, uh, and uh, fellowship with you this morning, but uh, he's, he's a good brother. Uh, just hard to believe about right, the travels, the marvels of contemporary world. I was just reflecting that uh, just a, a week ago, uh, today, we were fly, flying from um, Indonesia to Dubai to JFK. And um, Kerry and I and uh, um, my team from Albany were in uh, Indonesia for about 10 days uh, for some business meetings. And that was uh, special for us, uh, besides the work that we do. I serve as um, a college president up in Albany, have been there for eight years. Uh, but also going to Indonesia was uh, somewhat special. I'd never envisioned that I would, I would go to Indonesia, but it was special in this sense that, as you know, Jason and Kim had served, um, they were called uh, to ministry in Indonesia for about eight years. And in fact, three of my nieces and nephews were born in Indonesia. And we, when they went, I clearly remember the day they left Field International Airport, my wife, my in-laws, and Jason and Kim, and Aiden, if my memory serves me right, was a baby then, uh, just uh, not only praying at uh, Field International Airport, but uh, crying, <laughs> crying because uh, they were leaving us and uh, saying yes to God's call. Uh, and obviously over the course of the past eight years, uh, we, had, you know, we had prayed for them. But I think going to Indonesia, um, as I shared with Kelly, um, even while we were there, um, just I felt this sense of conviction that um, uh, I told Kelly, babe, I just had not prayed enough for Kim and Jason. Um, uh, and I called Jason even while there that, uh, oh, this is a tough place. I don't know how you ministered here for eight years. I'm not even here on ministry. I'm here on government business, on you know, official business. That is not ministry related in a sense. Though, right, God places us whether regardless of our vocation, you know, at the end, you know, I'm always a believer. <laughs> you know, but you know, I said to Jason, hey, my brother, I, I just have a confession to make to you that uh, I just had not prayed enough for you while you were serving in Indonesia. It's a tough place, and, uh, and just I have a lot of regard now, postscript, um, um, about their service, their calling to Indonesia. It is a tough place. Uh, just spiritually, Ken and I would look at each other and say, this, this feels oppressive. <laughs> this is tough. 
you know, it, it doesn't matter which island you, we are on. And within Indonesia, I think we've, we flew four times to different regions of Indonesia where we had meetings. It was just the same. It was oppressive. So I, oh, I say all that uh, to say you, you know, um, you have a pastor, you have a pastor's wife who, uh, anyone who can say yes to God's call to serve in those regions, um, I think deserves, deserves our, our thanks before our God. And I say to Jason, Jason, if God calls me to Indonesia, I'll be like Jonah. <laughs> really, I will be. Uh, I, it, there has to be a big fish to swallow this African, you know, because I just I said, and Jason just laughed in his, in his usual manner. He just giggled, you know. Um, I'm not sure that was good or bad, but he did, did giggle. He also told me, uh, gave me some caution, says, you have been... Um, you have been in the book of Acts, which incidentally is one of my favorite books. And he said, steady, stay away from the book of Acts because we have gone through that or we are going through that, you know. And I know you are, you'll be going, looking at uh, the commandments soon. And that is a wonderful book. So um, let's just, a pact between you and I this morning, um, I'll, I'll give you a few hooks about the book of Acts. Don't tell Pastor Jason that. Don't dime me out, as Philadelphians would say. Right? Uh, so the book of Acts is pretty much three hooks. There are three hooks. Over the years that I, I have studied the book of Acts, three hooks. Number one, Paul has gone crazy in the book of Acts. Paul has gone crazy in the book of Acts. If you think about that, Paul has gone crazy. Number two, Stephen is dead. Stephen is dead. So, Whatever happens in the book of Acts, Paul has gone crazy. Yes, in the, you know, in the first three chapters, the Holy Spirit comes to the church. But Paul has gone crazy. Stephen is dead. Why is Stephen dead? Because of Paul, who was a persecutor of the church. And guess what happens to the church? The church is scared and scattered. The church is scared and scattered. So Paul has gone crazy. Stephen is dead. The church is scared and scattered. Those are the three hooks of the uh, book of Acts. You think about that, you can uh, decipher the entire book under those three hooks. Paul has gone crazy. Stephen is dead. The church is scared and scattered. And you can argue and say everything starts with Paul going crazy. Stephen dying. And the church being scared and the church gets scattered. And then what happens? <laughs> The Evangelion, as the Greeks called it, spreads in the known world then. All right, three mental hooks. So you can do me a favor next Sunday when Pastor Jace comes back. I'm not sure he will listen to this, lesson, to this uh, conversation this morning. You just stand up as a church and say, Pastor Jason, we have something for you. Paul is crazy. Stephen is dead. The church is and scattered. You owe him, and you probably he'll never invite me back again. <laughs> so this morning, um, we want to look, on, to look at Paul very briefly. But I'm an African. I was born in Zambia, came here on a scholarship many centuries ago. And so um, and I go to Africa uh, pre-pandemic almost every year to see my family. And uh, we go to church. 
And, um, uh, and my wife, from time to time, accompanies me with our two kids. And um, church service in Africa is different, right? It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's church service. Let the spirit lead. So Pastor Jason said to me that, you know, my brother, as he calls me, um, you have unfettered access. You have the whole day. These people at 6, 8 are so patient. They love to worship. So do it the African way. So Donna, where are you? All right. So uh, I'm going to give you my watch because this is going to be about four to six hours. So Donna, I'll give you my watch. It's an expensive watch. Come and get it. At about four hours, give me, give me a heads up because we'll take a break and then we'll come up, right? So we are in for eight hours, folks, so relax. You have goodies back there. You know, it's only at 6, 8 where you have drinks, you have water, you have pizza, you have snacks. So just feel free to get up because we are in until about 17 hours, until about 5 p.m. tonight. All right, so just, just relax, right? We are worshiping. We are not going to control what the Holy Spirit says. Now, you can be praying and say, God, shut this guy down. Shut this guy down. So Donna, let me know at four hours, right? All right, just give me a, a, a heads up that we're about halfway through. I can begin to speed up. Can we pray? Father, we are here because uh, we love you. Because of the um, double imputation that happened many, many years ago, before we were conceived, when you, are, when you were God and are still God and you decided in your mercy that your son would go on the cross for us, uh, take up our sins upon himself and that we would have the privilege to come before you as sons and daughters. So we are thankful for that. And so this morning, Lord, even as we uh, look at your word, we ask that... Uh, you be to us that which we individually, collectively need to be this morning and that which we need to hear. Uh, hide us behind the veil uh, so that your words may come forth um, even as we speak on your behalf. We ask for your mercy and your grace to be abundant even in this hour, in these hours. In your name we ask, amen. The least of all God's people. That's what uh, I want us to talk about this morning. The least of all God's people. Who describes himself that way? The Apostle Paul. Paul has gone crazy. Stephen is dead. The church is scared and scattered. And Paul says, I am the least of God's people. Ephesians 3.8, if you may turn there, I'll read it for you, but if, if you will, if you may turn there. This is what Ephesians 3.8 says. This is the Apostle Paul. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles than the unsearchable riches of Christ. Though I am the least of all God's people. <laughs> That's you, church. Though I am the least of all God's people, Paul says, this grace, underline the word grace, was given to me to preach the, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You have a ministry here at um, 
six eight and Kelly and I have followed it from its very beginning, even before uh, six eight was conceived. He's, uh, I had many conversations with Jason in our living room in Collegeville, uh, just uh, uh, conversing with him where God was calling him. Wonderful ministry that you have. Wonderful ministry that Kim and Jason had in Indonesia. Your ministry on the main line, we follow it, Ken and I, from, even from the hills of uh, Auburn in New York, we still follow your ministry. You are doing wonderful work here. But why you? What is so special about 6-8? What is so spe special about all of you here? That you have taken heed to this call to minister in these neighborhoods, to minister to these villages that are surrounding you. Why are you the right people? Does God really need you to do this work? Does God really need me to do this work? So that is a struggle that Paul wrestles throughout his life. And in fact, up to his death, Paul wrestles with that to say he was called to do this ministry. Though he constantly goes back and says, I am the least of all God's people. Not the, only the apostles, but the least of all God's people, even this church. So Paul's testimony of receiving his office as a minister of the gospel purely by the grace of God was a personal statement. Paul never ceased to be amazed that God chose him. The foremost persecutor of the church. The foremost persecutor of the church. Stephen is dead. Why is Stephen dead? Because of Paul, one can say. Why is the church scared and scattered? Because of Paul, the foremost persecutor of the church. And yet he says he was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles and to proclaim to them the unsearchable riches of Christ. What a coincidence. In 1 Corinthians 15.9, he says, I am the least. I am the least of the apostles. I am the least of the apostles. And he even says, I do not deserve to be called an apostle. <laughs> I do not deserve to be called an apostle. Because why? Because I persecuted the church of God. Talk of tough reflections in the middle of the night for the Apostle Paul. Not only did Paul consider himself the least of the apostles, to the Ephesians he referred to himself as, quotations, less than the least of all God's people. That's you. That's me. Less than the least of all God's people. And scholars have looked at that expression less than the least. And they've called it in Greek. When I was in seminary, we studied Greek. They called it a superlative comparative. That just means a double comparative. And it is a word that Paul himself coined to discuss to express his genuine amazement that God would call him to be an apostle. 
Why would God call me to be an apostle? The apostle Paul says in vernacular. I was the, the, the persecutor of the church. I killed the saints. I made the church to be scared and the church was scattered. Why? And then call, God calls me to be the apostle. Two theologians that I admire a lot, Alfred Marshall, trans, translated this word um, as lister, L-E-A-S-T-R, that Paul calls himself the lister. It's a new word, right? The lister and then F.F. Bruce, famous theologian, translated his is the lesser most. Paul describes himself as the lesser most, double comparative. Both of which really express Paul's emotional expression. He struggled with that. But, but, Paul freely acknowledges that he received his apostleship purely as a result of God's undeserved favor. Purely on the basis of God's undeserved favor. Isn't that where you're at? Isn't that where I'm at? God doesn't need me. He doesn't need me to stand up before you this morning. He doesn't need the worship team as wonderful as they were to bring us before Christ. He doesn't. It's all undeserved favor. So then I think we can say, to what extent can we use Paul's personal testimony to establish a scriptural principle regarding your ministry and my ministry? Our ministry. Is our ministry, whether it be teaching a children's Sunday school class, as others may be doing this morning, even here, or witnessing individually to inmates at, at a local prison or preaching to thousands of people each Sunday, performed by the grace of God by people who are unworthy to be doing it. Donna talked about your Wednesday night and Thursday services and outreach to the com community. You are unworthy to be doing it. And in fact, 6-8, I'm sorry to bruise your ego. God doesn't even need you. He doesn't. He uses you because of his grace, but doesn't need you. Doesn't need me. In whatever vocation he has called me, he doesn't. So then perhaps the answer is that we are not worthy. You and I are not worthy. To ask ourselves, am I worthy to perform this Christian task, whatever it is that you do in this body of believers? Are you worthy to do that? The answer is no, you are not. No, I am not. And in fact, it is really the pride of presumption to even ask that question. Because, why? Because it carries the implication that we spend most of our time doing things we are worthy to do. I'm not worthy to stand before you this morning and bring God's word to you. The worship team is not worthy to be before you this morning and bring you, prepare us for worship. The brother who is minding the sound equipment in the back, he's not worthy to be doing that. We don't have that kind of worth in the eyes of God. 
And in essence, that's what the Apostle Paul is wrestling with. He didn't have that kind of worth to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Having gone crazy, having caused Stephen's death, having caused the church to be scared and to be scattered. It matters little what I think unless my thinking accords with scripture. So, what does the Bible say about this question? Romans 12, 6, Paul says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. Romans 12, 6. We have different gifts according to the grace. Whose grace? God's grace given us. Paul is referring to the spiritual gifts given to every believer. 6 eight, church. Given to every believer. To enable us to fulfill the ministry or service God has appointed us for the body in Christ or for the community that we find ourselves in. But not this. That Paul said these gifts are given according to the grace of God. The grace of God. Not according to what you deserve or what I deserve. It is charisma. The Greeks called it charisma. The spiritual gift is called charisma, which means a gift of God's grace. The gift of God's grace. Whether it is the gift of eternal life. You and I, those of us who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, have the gift of eternal life. Not because you deserve it, not because I deserve it, but because of God's grace, that double imputation, Christ taking on my sins so that I can stand before the Father. God's grace. And in fact, there is nothing that happens in my life and in your life without or outside of God's grace. <laughs> Have we thought about that? And in fact, my wife will tell you that um, over the past year, I probably have spent hundreds of hours trying to understand God's grace. She'll tell you that I have books and books back in my study in Albany that I just said, I need to understand God's grace. I can't put my arms around it. <laughs> and I still can't, even years, almost 12 months of reading it and studying it fervently. I don't. And I'll be so presumptuous and say, you don't either. You don't. They are given because of God's grace, not according to what we deserve. Peter, Paul's companion, wrote in a similar fashion as Paul. This is what he says in 1 Peter 4.10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to save others. Listen to me. Each one should use whatever gift 
he has received to save others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. There is that word again. God's grace in various forms. First Peter 4.10. Paul and Peter are saying the same things. The spiritual gifts we have and the ministries we perform are gifts of God's grace. You are here this morning because of God's grace. <laughs> Nothing to do with you. I'm sorry to bruise your ego. Nothing to do with you. It's all by God's grace. Unmerited, undeserved. None of us deserve what we have received from God or what God has given us. They are given to us by God's undeserved favor to us through Christ Jesus. There are many times I pause and look at my own life. Having been raised of wonderful parents, but abject poverty, <laughs> abject poverty in sub-Saharan Africa, Zambia, abject poverty. And I look at myself today, the station where God, where God has put me in, where I lead as a president of a large college, <laughs> traveled the world over, just mentioned to you, my wife and I were in Indonesia at the invitation of the Indonesian Ministry of Tourism and Hospitality. Two weeks from today, I'll be in Zambia at the invitation of the Ministry of Education in Zambia. <laughs> and I say, Lord, what did I do? And then quickly the Spirit says, nothing to do with you, steady. Nothing to do with you. You don't deserve any of this. You don't deserve to stand up before presidents, before powerful people is defined by this world, and I can. <laughs> it's all by God's grace. It's all by God's grace, undeserved. That is a wonderful perspective to live by. <laughs> Six, eight. Wonderful perspective to live by. Think of the eternal life, <laughs> the promise of eternal life that you have, that I have. To live forever <laughs> with God the Almighty. Undeserved, totally undeserved. When the rest of the world is perishing, <laughs> you have this hope. <laughs> You have this hope. And so it's no wonder we can say it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. So what does this mean? This means the wealthy in quotation marks, in quotation marks the wealthy and the most unworthy. Mark my words, the wealthy and the most unworthy of all believers. Both receive their gifts and their ministry on the same basis. On the same basis. The unworthy person surely doesn't deserve his gift or her gift. 
but neither does the most wealthy. They both receive them as, as unmerited favors from God. Now, if you were awake, you'd say, steady. You use the word unworthy and worthy. How is that possible? Well, the fact of the matter is you're right. Because there is no such distinction. The reality is there is that there is no distinction in God's sight. There is no worthy or unworthy. In his sight, we are all totally and permanently bankrupt spiritually. I can look at you and say, boy, my brother here is worthy. My sister here is unworthy. We are all, we are all permanently bankrupt spiritually. There are no these gradations in his kingdom. No wonder the apostle Paul therefore says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans, 2, uh, Romans 3, 22, 23. All have sinned. 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 And have fallen short of the glory of God. And that is true for believers. And that is true for unbelievers. <laughs> The distinction, the favor of God rests upon you and the privilege to be called sons and daughters of God because of what Christ did on the cross and because you went before him and said, Father, you're my boss, <laughs> I surrender. We never earn our privileges of ministry because of our hard work or faithfulness in previous ministries to God. We don't. Sorry to disappoint you. 6-8. Pastor Jay, you'll be listening to this. I'm sorry to disappoint you as well. We are all accustomed to thinking of spiritual gifts in terms of abilities to minister that we lose sight of the ordinary meaning of the word. We abuse when we say spiritual gifts. A gift is something given to us, isn't it? A gift is something given to us, something we don't earn. But even our ordinary meaning fails to adequately convey the biblical sense. We tend to give gifts to people who, even though they have not earned them, in some sense deserve them because of their relationship to us or because they have done us a favor of some kind. But God gives spiritual gifts to people who do not deserve them, and that is you, 6-8. You don't deserve them. None of us deserve to be in God's service. None of us deserve to be in God's service. Whether it is teaching children's Sunday school class or serving in some faraway mission field. Great equalizer. None of us deserve that. So therefore it is an awesome thing to attempt to speak on behalf of God. It is an awesome thing to attempt to speak on behalf of God. Yet, that is exactly what we do when we teach, when we preach, when we do our street ministries. That is exactly what we do. We are speaking on behalf of God. And in fact, that is what I'm doing this morning. It matters not whether the audience is one person or 50,000 people, or whether it's kindergarten, Students or graduate school 
and theological students. Anytime we say, <laughs> listen to me, church. Anytime we say or write something or make that phone call that we hold out to be biblical truth, we are putting ourselves in the position of becoming God's spokesperson. Did you listen to me? We are putting ourselves in a position of becoming God's spokesperson. Think of how awesome that is. <laughs> you are speaking on behalf of God. I'm standing here before you this morning speaking on behalf of God. Just think of how awesome that is. The magnitude of that. Think of our brothers or sisters who are teaching your Sunday school class or teaching little kids. I, I, I think they are somewhere. Right? They are speaking on behalf of God. That is an awesome task. No wonder Peter says in 1 Peter 4.1, this is what Peter says. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone sings, <laughs> he should sing as one singing the very words of God. If anyone is strumming the guitar, he should be doing it as one strumming the, the very words of God on the guitar. Awesome, 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 awesome task. I'm sure we all appreciate the awesomeness of those responsibilities to be speaking on behalf of God. Church, do we consider the accountability that comes with being entrusted with that divine message? Do we consider the accountability that comes with being entrusted with that divine message? Paul did. <laughs> the apostle Paul did. Paul himself was so keenly conscious of this immense responsibility when he said in 2 Corinthians 2.17, unlike so many, <laughs> unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit on the contrary, in Christ, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men, like men, like men sent from God. <laughs> like men sent from God. Whatever your ministry is, you are like men sent from God. <laughs> you are the ambassador. I tell my wife that when my presidency is over, when God says, you know what, you are done being a president of a college, I am asking him, could I be an ambassador? Could I be a diplomat on behalf of the U.S. government? That is speaking on behalf of the U.S. government. Guess who you are? You are an ambassador for God. <laughs> you are an ambassador for God. My first sermon I preached decades ago, I'm an old man, <laughs> decades ago, I realized very quickly that my spiritual mentor was in the audience. And my spiritual mentor was my dad, <laughs> my father. When I realized he was in the audience, I was dismayed. <laughs> my knees were buckling. 
because I wondered whether he was analyzing everything I said. Remember, he was my father, but he was also my spiritual mentor. He remains a 97 years old today. Actually, you know, what was it, last Monday or so? He turned nine, 98. <laughs> He's my spiritual mentor, and I wondered whether every word I said, whether he was critiquing it, my, the content and the delivery, and what would I get when I got home? <laughs> now think about this. If the presence of my father was an awesome experience, here's a young guy, a young lad preaching, and he's sitting in the audience, didn't tell me he was going to be there. And my knees were buckling. How much more old should I be when I realize even today, even this morning, that I'm in the very presence of God and on his behalf, and so are you. What then, brothers and sisters, will give us the courage to undertake or to continue to teach the scriptures and for that matter, to exercise other spiritual gifts that God has given you? And you do have them, at 6-8. I talked to your pastor enough to know you are doing an amazing work. But what gives you the courage to do the amazing work? The answer is simple. I think the answer is a heartfelt conviction that we have our ministry by God's grace. We have our ministry. You have your ministry by God's grace. Again, as Paul said, therefore, since it is through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4.1. It was a sense of God's mercy that gave Paul courage, or as he expressed it, caused him not to lose heart. Mercy is God's grace expressed specifically towards people who are viewed by him, God, as guilty. That's you. That's me. Condemned. That's you. That's me. Helpless. That's definitely you, and that is definitely me. It is generally expressed in terms of relieving the misery due to my sin and to your sin. But God not only relieves Paul's misery, I'm the least of all the brethren. <laughs> he elevated him to the office of apostle and gave him the ministry of proclaiming the riches of Christ. <laughs> Paul has gone crazy. Stephen is dead. The church is scared and scattered. Thanks, Paul. And he becomes the apostle. Paul never lost his sight of his own unworthiness even when exercising the office of apostleship. He never forgot he held the office by God's mercy. Here we see the biblical relationship between a sense of one's utter unworthiness on one hand and the courage to undertake a ministry of God or for God on the other. Because to lose sight of our unworthiness 
is to risk exercising our gifts and fulfilling our ministries in the spirit of presumptuous pride. As if God were fortunate enough to have us on his team. But, but, to focus much on our unworthiness is to neglect God's grace. His will to effectively mobilize us for his service. And when we pay too much attention to that, it is also an attitude, an expression of pride, because we are focusing on ourselves and our worthiness or unworthiness, as if God were dependent on some innate quality within us to equip us for his service. He does not. Sorry to tell you that. He does not. So then, brothers and sisters, we do not declare temporary spiritual bankruptcy. <laughs> Hear me out. We do not declare temporary spiritual bankrupts. Our bankruptcy is total and permanent. It is total and permanent. The only worthiness we have for entrance into God's kingdom is in Christ. It is in Christ. The only worthiness we have with which we, we come before God is in Christ. The only worthiness we have to qualify for ministry is in Christ. If we are to progress in any aspect of our Christian life, we must look outside ourselves and only to Christ. It is in him that the grace of God is so abundantly poured out on us. It is in him that the grace of God is so abundantly poured out on us. Paul was conscious of this throughout his entire ministry, of his utter unworthiness to be a servant of Christ. We have seen how he expressed this sense of unworthiness in Ephesians 3.8, in 2 Corinthians 4.1. We again see him expressing this in 1 Corinthians 15.9 and 10. This is what he says, if you can listen in church. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And by his grace to me was not without effect. No. <laughs> I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. Paul freely admitted that he did not deserve to be an apostle, that he was won by the grace of God. That is by God's unmerited favor. <laughs> unmerited favor. So brothers and sisters, here is the encouragement for you, 6-8. God's grace is sufficient for our weaknesses. <laughs> if you were in an African church, I would get an hallelujah and an amen. But I'm at 6-8 on the main line. You are all very civilized and Western. <laughs> yeah. 
God's grace is sufficient for our weakness. Amen. Amen. That's right. Amen. If you're in an African church, you'll be dancing in the aisles. <laughs> Christ's worth does cover our unworthiness. And the Holy Spirit makes us effective in spite of our inadequacy. That is the glorious paradox of living by grace. Right? That, let me say it again. That is the glorious paradox of living by his grace. We are unworthy, and yet Christ's work makes us worthy. <laughs> that is a paradox. When we discover in ourselves, we find, when we discover we are weak in ourselves, we find we are strong in Christ. Amen? When we regard ourselves as less than the least of all God's people, we are given some immense privilege of serving in the kingdom. When we almost despair of our inadequacy, we find the Holy Spirit giving us unusual ability. And in the end, in the end, church, we shake our heads in amazement and say with the prophet Isaiah, Lord, all that we've accomplished, you have done for us. Isaiah 26, 12. Lord, all that we, we have accomplished, you have done for us, and the glory belongs to you. Amen, church? Well, you were praying so hard because I'm at the end. I saved you another six hours, so you just gained a lot of time. Put it to good use. Let me close this in prayer for us. Father, thank you for the time we have had. Um, Lord, um, <laughs> we pray that um, it was acceptable before your sight. And Lord, if through our ways, our actions, our attitudes, we failed short, we ask for your forgiveness. We thank you that you are a loving and gracious Father. We commit this hour, this day, this week, to you and your care. In the name of Jesus, amen.